You ever take a psychology class? Yes. Well, good. You were properly prepared for this episode. <laughs> for all you other people out there, you know, maybe the show will provide you with all the psychology you need. Not really? Like, this is not going to help you pass a psychology class? No, but it's fun anyway. It is. Uh, hello. Hi. Welcome to this week's episode of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. It's episode number 81. So many episodes. So many episodes. I'm Jared, joined as always by Doc Al herself and Ladium. Hello. And this is a podcast where you have conversations about anime, video games, manga, those sorts of things. And we are here this week to tell you about an anime that was adapted mm-hmm. from a video game. Who mm-hmm. would have thunk it? Wow. <laughs> not like there two was of like our bases. Yeah. Not like there was like three other ones happening as well during the spring season. <laughs> yeah, but at least this one was good. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we are here to talk to you about a show that we were, I would say, fairly surprised by. Yeah. Given uh, it, given its pedigree, in a, in a sense. Uh, we're going to talk to you about Caligula, a.k.a. the Caligula Effect. If you played the, uh, the English release of the Vita version of the game. Mm-hmm. Or if you just know the anime, it's just Caligula. Because that yep. was the original Japanese title. So yeah, I think the, the the way we start us off is we we played we played the Caligula effect back in, last year when it came out. Yeah, we did. And the big thing going for that game was that it was being uh, written by the same writer of Persona One and Persona Two, Tadashi Satomi, mm-hmm. who, if you've played uh, those three games. And also some of the other works he's done, like he did uh, the the Shimagama Tensei Digital Devil Saga games, and then a couple of other things outside of um, when he left Atlas. But if you've played his games, you kind of have an idea of what to expect from that that style of game. Like there's going to be a lot of psychology involved, uh, flawed characters throughout, and you know, given his pedigree with those original Persona games, and just how different they are from three through five and everything like that. Like, him kind of going back to this style of, like, a high school setting with a bunch of characters, and it's seeming like it's going to have, like, it's going to be rooted in a lot of psychology. Like, that made things very interesting and, like, very intriguing about this game. Yeah, and we pretty much bought it, like, day one. Yeah. And then we played it. I guess, like, the one thing to say is, like, the, the story... I don't really have anything bad to say about like what we played through the story of it. Oh no, the story that we played through was fine. I mean, I we, mean did, it, we didn't we get like get far. super far into it, but like the the one detriment to the game was the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And it that was a nightmare. It's a it's a JRPG, obviously, but Correct. the battle mechanics are just strange. Like it's kind of like a strategy RPG in a sense, where like you're pre pre planning your moves and you can like watch them like transpire just like see if if this is gonna like work with work well if this can combo well and all that sort of stuff 
which I'm sure for some people that's fine. That's the style, a style of mechanics that they would be into. But for us, it just it didn't connect with us. Like I fell off it pretty quickly. I know you, you fell off it quicker than I did. But mm-hmm. just the the mechanics just felt monotonous with all like the the battles you had to go through, especially because it was JRPG, and it just made the thing the the game a lot like more boring than it really should have. And the social system was crap. It was way too ambitious, I think, for what they were trying to do. Which yeah, it is, was. Essentially, you can kind of have like a friendship with like literally every single character in the game, whether they are a side character or a very, very minor character. Yeah. And like they'll ha- they'll each have like individual quests assigned to them, which is a lot <laughs> to say it's the least. It's a lot. And, like, some of them will join your party, and it's just like, uh, I don't want to deal with all this. Yeah. It's it, it's a very, like I said, it's a very ambitious idea. I just don't think it it worked all that well, at least in my opinion. It made uh, the, um, the thing they did in Tokyo Xanadu was a lot better. Where it was like, mm-hmm. you have a set number of, like, characters that you'll meet in your school, and you get to learn more about them. Sometimes they'll give you stuff, they'll help you out. But it's not like you you were hanging out with literally everybody. Everybody, yeah, I I agree with that. It was it was well done in Xanadu because like you knew who these people were and you you could talk to them and they would give you advice and sometimes quests. But like it was not literally every single person and not literally every single one of them wants to give you a quest or anything. It was it was it was too much and I was tired of like trying to befriend everybody because like. Being social is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, no joke. So yeah, like that system was just very overwhelming, and it didn't help as well that like a lot of the characters that you meet are just kind of generic. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not even kind of generic; they're very generic. Yeah, so that was a big problem, and then and then just the the battle mechanics being a thing. Uh, yeah, we bounced pretty quickly. I think we got like a few chapters in, like at least a couple of bosses in, and then we yeah. were just like, we're good. <laughs> yeah, pass. Like. The story is probably fantastic, but I can't get through the gameplay right. to get to it. That's what made the announcement uh, late last year, I think around November or something, late in the year, where they're like, hey, we are going to make an anime of this game. It was appealing. Yeah, it was It was surprising because, I mean, obviously, it didn't get a lot of traction here, I think just because it's a, it's a niche thing that was released on the Vita in 2017. And it didn't have a physical release either, did it? Um, I because I remember we both bought it digitally. Because I think there was a thing about it where like limited run games was going to do a a physical release of it, but then like they got blocked from doing it. Huh. Let me see if I can find that. But we both bought it digitally. Yeah. Initially, Alice, this is from the Wikipedia page, initially Alice did not rule out a physical release of the Caligula Effect through limited run games, but eventually decided against it. So it was a uh, digital only thing. That's so it also it didn't get like really good reviews, like uh, the Metacritic is at 58, which means Metacritic's Metacritic. Um, Famitsu gave it a little bit of a better score, like he gave it a 30 out of 40, but yeah, it, it didn't really make a big impact here. Which is, which granted, like, it's not surprising because, like I said, it's a digital-only Vita title in 2017, and if you ask a lot of Persona fans, like, they're probably not going to know who Tadashi Satomi is. Correct. Or have, 
probably have not played Persona 1 and 2. And see, I've played 1, and I played uh, Digital Devil Saga. Mm-hmm. So. So at least you kind of have, like, some knowledge of, like, what his style can be. Which granted, I knew what I was getting into. Which, granted, DDS is even just, like, him adapting another person's story. Correct. So. So, yeah. I guess it was a little bit of a surprising um, announcement that they were going to make an anime of this. But I don't know necessarily like, how well it did in Japan. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can find that. Find some numbers. Find some numbers. I. Um. It was the second best-selling game in Japan during its opening week, with thirty-one thousand two hundred forty-three copies sold. Wow. So yeah, and it did get a. It recently did get a re-release on the PS4, where they they um they changed engines. They made it with uh, Unreal Engine Four. Uh, mm-hmm. Made the graphics a lot better. There's a dual protagonist now, and like a bunch of like new uh, characters you get for the Go Home Club, and new musician villains, and then like there's a new storyline as well that you can get into. I I would highly doubt that comes over here. Yeah, I doubt it. And also, it doesn't seem like they changed the gameplay a lot from like the little bits of video I saw of that. So like, it's not something like I'm like, oh man, I'm really chomping at the bit to give Caligula Effect another try. So, I mean, it's cool that like they they tried to like make it better and put it on a console that has like more reach than the Vita does. Uh But at the same time, like if you're not going to fix like the one problem I have with it, it's not going to make me like jump out of my seat and go buy a copy of it. Yeah, no pass. Like that was the whole, I would have stayed in if the gameplay was okay. It wasn't the fact that like the graphics were Vita graphics or anything. It was the fact that the gameplay itself was bad. Right. But yeah, that leads us to, that leads us to the anime adaptation. Which again we were hyped about because yeah. get get the story but skip the gameplay. Uh, so like weirdly enough, this was my introduction to getting a job at Crunchyroll because I pitched them an article about this series and they're like, "Hey, you should write this." And I was like, "Okay." Which the main basis about that article is like, here's the things that Tadashi Satomi has wrote before, and this is why you should be excited for the show. But also the weird thing is like he's not really associated with the anime adaptation. Yeah. Like, they are adapting his story, but, like, he, there's real no, like, credit to him being, like, working alongside them. Like, it was, like, another person writing the the script for the story of the anime adaptation and all that, so. It still kind of counts, but also it's a little different, especially because of the way they, they do the series. And that was the the point of another article I wrote about how this series does something that a lot of game adaptations do don't do and that's basically flip the script on what the game the game story was yeah it's not a one for one yeah and it's something i wish a lot of other game adaptations like could do which i i understand that you know a there's so much business deals that happen with like these adaptations probably to where if you're an anime production company you don't want to off the game studio you're adapting their the story from Mm-hmm. So like you're probably not going to see a lot of a lot of the style of adaptation where it's not a one to one adaptation, and also just the idea of like you know fans specifically are going to want to see the story they know in a different medium. Right. Like, a lot of people will get upset if you know you start changing things on a whim just because you can, even if it's for the best or whatever. But I think with this specifically, like, it would have been real hard to do a one-to-one adaptation of. And I think that's one of the main reasons why they don't go with that. Mm-hmm. Because 
immediately, like in the very beginning of the game, you get like three to four party members like right away. Mm-hmm. And if you do that here, that takes away a lot of the drama and the buildup for like, you know, characters getting their powers and having this tension between uh, the bad guys. Whereas with the anime, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit, like it takes like a good six to seven episodes for everyone to get their powers. Mm-hmm. Including the protagonist. Including the protagonist, which, like, for a good majority of the series, like, you're like, is he even, are they even going to give him powers this time? Yeah, because he was one of the last ones. Mm-hmm. If not the last one. And I think just the way they were able to, to take, like, the bare bones of the story from the original, from the original game and make their own thing with it, I think they did a fantastic job. Like, it, they should be very much commended for what they did in terms of just, like, the work they are doing with game adaptations because because like i said like not a whole lot of people do this type of thing and it would be it would be real interesting just to see like the ways that companies could take game stories and make their own spin on them do their own thing with them like like imagine persona 5 with like a better production company and a better and someone coming up and like man this story kind of blows what if we did something better with it and even then, I was thinking, um, it, not that the story was bad for the Phoenix Wright games, but it didn't translate well for the anime because they were just like, okay, we had to put everything in. Mm-hmm. And like, imagine if they had done something unique and interesting with that anime that was in like the Phoenix Wright world. Like, that would have been so cool. Mm-hmm. And they did that some with like um, the Layton series. Um, because there are some latent movies and anime that have nothing to do with, I mean, not nothing to do. They fit into the canon, but they're not any of the game adaptations. They're their own original thing. Right. And they were really, really good. And I like, I think Persona 4 Golden kind of does that. It does. In a way, like, well, Persona 4 Golden is this weird thing all on its own, which we'll talk about (laughs) at some point, I know, but. I'm so excited about talking about Persona 4 Golden eventually. The way how the way that the thing is so weird is that they're taking an adaptation of a game that is basically adding on new content to another game, and they are taking that added on content and making their own anime adaptation of it, which they've already made an anime adaptation of the original game. Which, if you are very confused at the moment, it's it's understandable because there are just layers and layers and layers and layers on top of all this stuff, and they also expect you to have knowledge of Persona Four because mm-hmm. if you go into this without any context. I wrote an article about this, so I kind of know what, what I was talking about because I did a little bit of did a little bit of writing about this. But um, yeah, they basically just they they throw you in without any like knowledge, like know how of like we're gonna introduce these characters to you. No, we're not gonna do that. Yeah, and it's literally a new game plus. So yeah. like that's even something kind of cheeky in and of itself that they're like, you know what, new game plus was a thing. We're gonna throw that in here. But they also do some like original things with that show and take those story ideas and put their own little twist on them because they kind of have to if they're going to make this this thing about you know added story from a, a, a game that already has its own original story and make like at least some sort of like narrative flow to it like you kind of have to like put your own spin on it because without that it would just be nonsense <laughs> but uh yeah I really commend this show for doing like that, just making an adaptation and not making it just the same old one-to-one adaptation that everyone else does. 
it was unique and it was interesting. And the way that they handled it, especially considering the fact that they only had 12 episodes, like they did a great job. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in, shall we? Let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. So I guess like the, the premise of Caligula is you're following the main protagonist who they name uh, Ritsu, Ritsu Shikishima. In this, in the in the main game, you know, you can name him whatever you want. Uh, so you get to follow Ritsu, and for the first episode, they don't they they kind of fill you in at the end of like what's really happening. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's like, oh, we're just you know we're going to school. Everything seems hunky dory. Ritsu's a weirdo who likes to talk about psychology and philosophy a lot. <laughs> You know, he's, he's, got his, friends. he's got his friends, you know, they, they just finished up their semester of school and now we're going to go and do the opening ceremony and wait, why is everyone like, why are the seniors coming back as freshmen? That's, that's weird. That's real strange. I wonder why they would do that. Hmm. And eventually you go, you come to find out that like everyone is living in this world which is a virtual world called mm-hmm. Mo- is it Mobius? Mobius. Mobius. Mobius, yes. And for the most part, everyone doesn't understand that they're in a virtual world. Correct. Unless, like, you start to, like, awaken to, to, to something, air quotes, and then you start to see, like, everyone as, like, these, these like, digital beings, essentially. Yeah, they're, they're, like, I'm trying to think of the correct word for it. There is a, there is a the phrase is like digi heads or something like that. The digi heads, yeah, the enemies though, aren't they? Yes, but like a lot. Once you start like coming to like your powers and stuff, like you'll see like a lot of people like just like that, or like they'll phase in and out of that. They'll have like a weird like mosaic over their faces and stuff. That too, yeah. So yeah, basically that first episode is like. Risu kind of like going along and then oh figuring this out all the while you also learned that like Mobius is like created by this virtual idol named Mew mm-hmm. who is like if Hatsune Miku, Miku became sentient and created a virtual world <laughs> and basically like you know people she's become like very very popular in the real world and in this world as well to where like if people really gravitate towards her songs that's how they kind of like get sucked into the mobius world mm-hmm. and then pretty much i believe this first episode ends with you seeing um shogo because he's already um gone through the catharsis effect yeah he he's already had his awakening and he's been fighting the mm-hmm. the digi heads and all that so shogo's there <laughs> And Ritsu is able to see him and see, like, what he's actually doing. Yeah, because a lot of people are just like, huh, I wonder what's happening over there. That's interesting. Or, like, they don't see anything at all. Or they think he's a weirdo. Yeah, mainly that. But Ritsu's like, huh, that guy's fighting things. He has guns. Interesting. Or maybe that's the second episode. Either way, first few episodes, that's what happens. Yes. Um, Also, worth mentioning... Because it becomes important, and I say important, it's not really that important, but it's a funny <laughs> reference. The cops come. 
Yeah, they're like, oh my god, you just said it was important. It's really not that important. Um, Ritsu is talking to his friend Marie mm-hmm. on the train, and he's reading his little psychology book, and he starts talking about the Johari windows, um, which is like the psychology little boxes that you're able to figure out like your relationship with yourself. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, so the Jahari box comes in at the very last episode again. So I, I was really happy that that was a callback to that first episode where he's like, hey, I'm reading this book about this thing. Let's talk about it for a second um, <laughs> because they, they become important. Anyway. Also, these episodes have like really long-winded titles. Oh, yeah, they're stupidly long. <laughs> Like, the first episode is entitled, When You Lose Your Composure, You Cannot Reach the Truth or Reality. <laughs> uh, let me see, like, it's like an in- indie band making their, their song titles. True. Like, the eighth episode is probably the longest, where it is, Your life shouldn't be built from someone else's blueprint. No matter how unskilled you may be, you should draw it yourself. <laughs> Which I believe that's also... Um, so, like, the end credits, they have, like, a little, like, kind of teaser for the next episode where like they'll have Ritsu say the title of it and like in context of something's happening and yep. they're all little four four coma comics drawn by B-Cub the artist behind Pop Team Epic which is a fantastic crossover oh it's hilarious uh but for like the uh the preview for episode eight where he he has to say this um Shogo is like mimicking the the fans and they're like hey you should be more like five be a little more like Five, and it's like obviously a reference to Persona Five. <laughs> it is <laughs> fantastic. It's so funny. Because Reese is like, nah, we don't need to be. <laughs> I'm like, bravo. Very, very good. <sighs> I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the bleeping was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's real good. And also considering the fact that like. We both hated the Persona 5 anime and really liked Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that point in time where we're supposed to like, man, Persona 5 anime, woof, woof, woof. And then they just do this and we're like, all right, yep. Yep. I'm on board Bravo. with this. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so back to the anime. Yep. That we weren't talking about already. We're still talking about the anime. It's just true. The the final scenes of like the episodes. Uh, so eventually, Ritsu meets his like tiny virtual idol named Arya. She's so cute. Who has a connection to Mew? She does. And she comes along to try and help out Ritsu and also Shogo as well because he's kind of been tagged along or at least trying to get Ritsu to help him out. He's like, "You can see this stuff. You need to do the catharsis effect. You need to help me." And along the and way, he- you sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was like, Ritsu's just like, eh. What if I talk about psychology? What, what if I did that? He, he, he's so funny. Uh, and then along the way as well, you learn about the musicians who are like the, the, the enemy group in this series. And they are all people who make music, obviously, because they're musicians. And they have a deep connection to Mew. Cause right. Because pretty much they are writing music for her. Right, because she's the the idol lady. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Vocaloids cannot ma- write their own music, so somebody has to do it for them. I play Tokyo Mirage Sessions. That's that's absolutely true. It's true. I played that game too. 
There was Tiki is my waifu. Oh, God. Yeah, it was terrible. At least it was a girl. Yeah, that was the only good thing about that. Yep. Uh, anyways, you throughout like these first couple of episodes, you you get a pretty kind of basic introduction to a lot of like the side or supporting cast of the series. And there's a it's lot, a of, lot of world building. There's a lot of world building, and then there's a lot of characters you have to maneuver around. Mm-hmm. Pretty much after the first two episodes, we kind of get our first like introduction to one of the musicians. Mm-hmm. As we end up at Sweet Pea's tea party, <laughs> which is, I believe it's a uh, Mifue and um, the uh, the blog girl, which I forget her name. I don't know any of their names. That's, um, that's not a surprise. <laughs> I know Ritsu and I know Shogo, and that's it. And let's go. I, let's well, go to the Caligula wiki and hope they have pictures next to names. There's a lot of characters. Like to be fair, like. It's not easy to keep everyone in track and in, in check. There are and um, like we get a little bit of explanation and I think it's the end of the second episode where like they find out that they really can't leave the area mm-hmm. and um, the girl that we're referring to like she wants to find her mother. Yes. And um, so it's Mifue and Nanako. Nanako is the blog okay. girl. Okay. But yeah, like, uh, Mifue is trying to find her mom, and she thinks, she's heard that, like, oh, if you go to this tea party, like, you'll find out the information you need, essentially. Correct. And she goes there, and basically, it kind of just turns the tables on her, where you start to learn to, like, oh, she has this weird anger issue she, in terms of, like, people who are overweight. Overweight, yeah. yeah. She, has, she has very intense hatred towards overweight people. So we learned that. Also that Sweet Pea is a dude. Sweet Pea is a dude. Um, which I guess is kind of our first introduction to the fact that like not everybody in Mobius looks the way that they do in real life. Yes, and that'll become a, a very big proponent as we move through the series. Because pretty much everyone is like high school aged in this in this world. And not necessarily everyone is of high school age in, in the reality. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like they... They have that big encounter, and then everything kind of goes to back, and that. Oh, it's kind of creepy, like with all the cutesy stuff, and then like the girls who just keep eating and everything. Like it, it kind of freaked me out a little, mm-hmm. but it was a great episode. Yeah, but that also leads to those two, uh, Mifue and Nariko, starting to also see like, hey, the world is not what it seems. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like paddle up for a minute. Yeah. Uh, in the next episode, Ritsu basically finally teams up with Artie and Shogo. So like they're able to help. And then also like the other two, like I said, they start to learn things that have gone awry. Was that with a question mark? No, it's just me saying awry. Okay. I was like, no, then don't really need a question mark. I'm trying to this, uh, I want to click on this, on this episode because I can't, the, the full, the full synopsis does not give me what I need. Mm. We're totally doing this on the fly. I gotta hit the pause button before it goes. It starts yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other dudes, Kotaru, he's a dude with shades, and he's got like he's got a brash mouth. Uh, the next episode is where 
he's trying to find a friend or his friend mm-hmm. who was to, who basically went to the library. Da-ba-bum. And then a lot of bad things happen there. Um, the library, I can't remember if this is a uh, goes into episode five as well. The the what Shonen doll? No, I think this is just episode four because episode okay. five is when we get the swan boat. Oh yes. Uh, so Kataru basically has been going around with um Susana, and mm-hmm. like they've been trying to like stay together because they've also figured out like oh things are not as they seem. And she goes off into the library and gets lost. And then he goes and finds, um, I think, Protag and Shogo. And they go to the library, basically. And they meet, uh, they figure out, like, oh, well, things are not as they seem in this library. And then they meet another of the musicians who is named Shonen Doll. Yep. And one of the, this is basically one another one of the weird things where, like, this is like a boss fight in the actual game. Yep. Similar to how the Sweet Pea thing was as well. But uh, there's no fighting. There was no fighting in the last episode. There's no fighting here. Basically, you beat this boss fight with empathy. With words. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of the weird things because you, like, you, you'd figure like, oh, well, you know, these are prominent villains. Like, you're going to have some big showdowns. But obviously, as well, Shogo's the only one who has awakened to his powers at the moment. Mm-hmm. So they're not really going to have a big fight or anything. But also, like, comparing it to, like, Persona 5, where you had that weird fight in, like, one of the first, it was either the second or the third episode in um, in the castle, mm-hmm. where it was just, like, nothing in this fight makes any sense, and it wasn't interesting to look at, like... Oh, you mean when they, like, hit it once, and then, oh, battle's over. Yeah, I mean, like, you get interesting battles in Caligula, wow... Um, later in the series, but at this point, like, it wouldn't really be interesting, because like you said, one, they don't really have their powers yet, and two, like, it's early game, so... Right. And also just, like, the way they build up to everyone getting their powers, and then, like, the latter half of the series is where, like, oh, we're gonna have a lot of fights, and, like, it it makes sense, and all those fights, like, they pay off well. Mm-hmm. And it and it fits the whole like psychology thing that we're fighting it with empathy because we're trying to figure out like why we're here, why why everybody hates the real world so much, that kind of thing, and figure out like why the musicians are so dedicated to Mobius. And so like the idea of fighting with empathy works really well. Right. And like it, it makes sense as well that you could like take care of like a couple of these like earlier quote-unquote bosses with that style but then like later on like when you're going further and further up the food chain like you're gonna have to fight right uh so that leads us to episode five aka also i I just want to say real quick that like shonen doll was one of my favorite characters of this entire series Mm -hmm. like just a really really interesting villain and the way that it was handled was spectacular uh, although there was an animation error in this episode where they forgot to take out the the doll lines on one person's face after everything had been healed. <laughs> Whoops. Anyway, continue. Uh, so we we get to episode five, which is the famous swan boat scene. At least famous yes. for us. Yes. <laughs> where Ritsu is just talking psychology with with two girls on a swan boat. <laughs> like that's how we yeah. make small talk. Oh my god! So like the entire pro of this episode is that basically like there's a dating um 
day at the theme park. And so like everybody's trying to couple up and uh, Ritsu is talking to Flower Girl and I don't remember her name, but um, he's basically like, you can see Arya and I know that you can see her. So like, let's chat for a bit. And she basically like shuts him down saying it was like a middle school pickup line. And so in order to make himself feel better, he's like, you know what? F it. I'm just going to go on dates. And so he takes two girls on a swan boat and starts talking about psychology with them. And it was like the funniest thing in the world. And like knowing what I know now, it's not as funny. Um, It's kind of tragic. But at the same time, like the idea that this boy would just be like, this is how I get women. Psychology, two women at once. (laughs) Oh, it was so good. So, it was so, so good. funny because it cuts to him and he's just like, I'm in the swan boat. And like, I forgot what he was even talking about. It was something about like, um, shoot, um, I'm blanking on it. There was a very specific topic that he's talking about. Right. And I, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it was extremely funny. Um. Because this is also the episode where they talk about, like, the psychology of kinks. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. It's just, it's yeah, that thing was just entirely goofy, just because, like, you see him pedaling. I looked up my article, and there's a picture of it, and he's talking about defense mechanisms and self-serving biases. There we go. Yep, there we go. All the while piloting this this swan pedal boat. (laughs) With two girls. With two girls were like, oh, yeah, psychology, yes. Defense mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, I know about that. It's real good. It's so funny. But basically, yeah, like they go to this um, marine park because he gets like an invitation from Marie, and they're like, "Okay, let's go." It's him, and then like a couple of the others, and then they run into um, Katono, who is the one who's like shuts him down because she can see Arya, and then that basically leads to like this weird fight in like a arena between katono and one of the musicians who and it basically turns into like a popularity contest it does and so like the whole thing that i find really interesting about this episode because we kind of get like a turning point here in the sense that ritsu is kind of like at a point where he has to decide between okay do i just accept this world as it is or do i fight back against it Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not at all the episode where he gets his his powers but like this is kind of a mental turning point for Ritsu. Cause otherwise it's just like, even like with the, the pedal boat scene, like that was kind of him accepting the world saying like, okay, well I can talk to women here. So like, this isn't that bad. But also the thing is that like everyone else has been able to remember what they were like in reality. And he hasn't. He hasn't. Yeah. Um, there's also a part that we were both talking about that there's uh the bone zone rooms in this this episode because they kept talking about how like people were disappearing as couples and um so uh the the one uh, i forget his name tough guy guy super superhero um he's like hey let's let's follow them let's see where it goes and they open the door and it's like the digi heads are like straddling the dudes who have like VR headsets on. Yeah. And it's really bizarre. Real weird. <laughs> so um we we saw some virtual bone zone happening there. <laughs> and then we get to the popularity contest. And then that happens. 
in this real world. But that also is when um, Katano is able to awaken to her powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I think, bleeds into episode six a little bit as well. But episode because... six is where everything kind of comes to a culmination, in a sense. Uh, to where, like, the musicians and everyone else have a big showdown. Also, everybody kink-shamed in episode five because... Again, we were talking about the psychology of kings, but there's a part where guys like, actually, there were several guys that were like throwing themselves down on the ground so that the musician would step on them. Right. Yeah. And so like there was a lot of kink shame and it was great. <laughs> anyway, continue. Episode six. I believe this is also the episode where Ritsu kind of goes on this weird mind trip and I think runs into Mew. Yeah. With the colors. Yeah. The colors, Duke, the colors. And it's like, a it's basically him still trying to remember like what he was or who Mm -hmm. he was essentially and like i said everything kind of comes to a head in this episode where the musicians have a fight with everyone else because mew decides to go kind of rampant because i think ritsu denies her Mm -hmm. so she freaks out and that's like and that makes the musicians like all right well we're gonna fight whoever's causing this and that means everyone else kind of has to fight against the musicians, which means pretty much if you haven't unlocked your powers yet, this is where you unlock your powers. So it's like... Except for Ritsu. Yeah, except for Ritsu. So it's like Shogo, uh, Izuru, Kotaro, Kotono, Nanako, Mifue, and Suzuna all fighting against the musicians while Ritsu's kind of just like standing there like, I don't know what's happening. I still don't remember. And... He eventually awakens to his powers, but, like, he still hasn't remembered who he is. Yeah, Susanna gets a sweet hat. She does. I love that <laughs> she hat. She gets a hat. <laughs> that That's her, like, catharsis is just a giant hat. <laughs> and, like, a staff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, like, he, he is able to kind of, like, forcefully awaken himself, even without remembering anything. I think just because he's like, well, I'm going to stop Mew no matter what. For, for whatever reason, I guess, I'll do this. And we get this huge, huge fight. Which is cool, because, like, you know, we've been building up to, like, something happening, and then, you know, halfway through the series, like, oh, we're going to get this huge fight. Yeah, it's it's massive. Which makes the, the next episode kind of strange, because it's a very much a, all right, we've had this big, big thing, now it's time to cool down again. <laughs> because, essentially, it's a month between episode six the and seven. Fight. Uh, the go home club has officially kind of been created. So like everyone is chilling in the club room. They're having a hot pot. Uh, all the while, uh, <laughs> Kotaro keeps running in and out of the room because he's saving people as rescue man. <laughs> yep, he's rescue man. Which is real good. <laughs> it's so funny. So and they're all like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're saving like these digital people right and he's like yes it matters it totally matters uh so like the big thing that coming out of the battle is like mew is gone has gone into hiding for 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 some reason they don't know where she is but like she's probably with the musicians musicians haven't done anything in a month so it's pretty much you know the calm before the storm again and we kind of get like just a little sense of like what everyone's been up to in the last month and the big thing that the episode ends on is that like throughout most of it ritu's been gone and then, like, you get a, a, at the very end, you get, like, a cut to, like, where he's with everyone. And they're like, okay, well, what's the plan? And then you also see um, Kensuke, who is a member of the musicians in the Go Home Club club room, 
with everyone. And he's like, oh, hey, president, what are we going to do? Which is a very interesting way to introduce that he joined them. He joins them by turning on the musicians because in the game, he is the first boss you fight. Yep. But you do kind of, he does kind of get into a fight in the first couple of episodes, but it's like nothing real particular. But when you fight him in the game and defeat him, he joins you. So it's interesting that they wait until now to have him join, which I think is actually kind of like, it makes it more impactful and like a little bit more intriguing to like, we're like, Oh wait, what's he doing here? Yeah. And the way that they did it with like everything building up and then that very final bit of the episode, they're like, Oh, okay. He's here now. And like, wait, what? And there's like no explanation. Yeah, It was great. Like it was a really neat way to do it. Mm -hmm. So the next episode is where we kind of get like more, we get backstory on Izuru. I really liked this episode. Because he was just kind of like there. He just kind of shows up yeah. and is like, hey, what's up? And then you don't really know much about him until this episode where like you finally get into like, okay, what's his deal? Why is he here? And all that. Um, but basically still everything's kind of just, everything's calm. Um, and it's like the other side of the hot pot episode. Right. Because you're finding out like he was sent out to get like ingredients at one point. Mm-hmm. And you're finding out that there are like weird popularity contests with like who's the hottest guy Mobius. Yeah. So we have um Ike P. Or I guess it'd probably be EKP. I think he says it Ike, doesn't he? Does he it? say Ike? And I, I don't know. <laughs> I could say it Ike. Well, whatever. Blonde hair I, or sunglasses. Did he ever actually say his name? I don't I don't know. That's a great question. Anyway, it's it ends with P. Yeah. He's one of the musicians, and uh, he's very brash, very arrogant. He thinks he's 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 the shit, essentially. He is obsessed with being the most popular man and the most attractive man. Yes, and then like he's he's basically held this this I guess ranking for a good while, and then eventually like all the girls get wind of Izuru and are like, who who is this guy? We need to we need to talk about this man. Oh boy, let's follow him. And he gets, and uh, the musician gets real peeved about this. And there's also, um, there's some information that we're getting here that while Mew is asleep, that Mobius is kind of like halted. Yeah, like it's not, like if things get damaged, it's not being fixed. Like uh, supplies aren't coming in. So like mm. stores are shutting down. So it is basically like, in like a standstill. Uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Sweepy or whatever, like realizes that she's gaining weight from eating all the sweets because like uh Mew can't help her with that and, and like all the sweets um, places she wants to go to are closing down the uh the rich girl can't afford any of her things because her credit cards are cut off mm-hmm. and um EKP IP whatever his name is um his rankings were really tied to Mew because that was one of the things that made him happiest was him being the most popular, most attractive. And so like once everything's kind of, which I will say that that's one of the coolest things about Caligula is this whole idea of like, well, what happens in this virtual world when like resources are scarce? It's so cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting idea that like you don't really see explored that often. Mm mm. I loved it. It was like literally one of my favorite parts of this anime was just this entire part where Mew is asleep and they're trying to figure out what is going to happen. But um, so his popularity is tied to that. And once, uh, what's his name? Izuru? Yes. 
once he comes around and like the girls start paying attention to him, it becomes like this intense one-sided rivalry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a there's an interesting part where the um, the girls who are hanging out with Sweet Pea at the second episode, um, like the the overweight ones that the one girl hated, um, one of them's like, oh, you know, I'll never abandon you for this guy because you're the best, and he's like, oh, you know, that's good. I'm so happy that I at least have one fan. And like a few minutes later, you see that she's abandoned him. Yep. And, it hurts. Like you feel really bad for him, even though like he's an utter d- like you you can feel like that pain from these guys. And that's what I think really is effective about this anime is that you really understand that you have empathy for the villains, even if they are villainous. Mm-hmm. Like you understand their motivations, you understand where they're coming from, and you sympathize with them because like it does suck being bullied. And he he brings that up a bit because of the the store clerk. Um, that gets bullied because of the clothing thing. But, um, you know, you, you kind of, I don't want to say that you relate to them so much, but like you can understand where they're coming from. And, and for a sense, like you can relate to that because a lot of people do have issues of like, okay, uh, the opposite sex doesn't find me attractive. That's kind of sucky. And being bullied, that's also really sucky. Um, and I think, you know, the rich girl in real life, I think her issue is something to do with finances. And I can get that. I'm unemployed right now. So, <laughs> you know, they're getting their biggest wishes in Mobius. And so they kind of rely on that for validation. And once Mew is asleep and they're not getting that validation anymore, then everything really starts falling apart, not only in the world, but for them mentally. It's a bunch of shades of gray in that the idea that, oh, if you can have something that can make you ultimately happy, you know, some people are going to use that for something, you know, that's beneficial to them or for others. And then some people are going to abuse that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way the show does it, like it, it does a good job of covering that entire spectrum. And it does a whole lot of, I guess, psychology in the sense of like, what is happiness? Mm-hmm. Which is basically the main theme of this show. Correct. Uh, so yeah, like like you were mentioning, like a lot of like, there's a lot of backstory in this episode for like those two characters. Uh, for EKP, you get to like learn that he was like a store clerk, and he was treated pretty poorly. And then for Izuru, he basically was like propped up because of his looks and that essentially broke him at a point to where like he had to take like a sharp object to his face and then like cut himself in order to make himself feel like he was actually alive yep and then like the main reason for his anxiety and mobius and the reason he wants to go back to reality is that Every time he tries to re-inflict those wounds to himself, they just immediately heal because he because Mew basically thinks like, oh, well, he wants to have like a perfect face. He doesn't want to have those scars here. That would make him happy. And he's like, no, I want to have those scars here because if I don't have those, like, I don't feel alive. I don't feel like I'm actually like a person. And it, it's a cool thing that we get here because when he first awakens, he gets like a bullet wound on his um, left cheek and it heals really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, like, I never really thought about that, but it would be something that, like, that would be a cool thing to trigger him because he realized, like, okay, yes, I 
like I am alive here that I need to get out. Also, like when he is in his like when he has his powers activated, like his entire the left side of his face is covered. Yep. Which is interesting. Uh, also, one of the other things we get in this episode is uh, is Ritsu being approached by Kensuke about joining. <laughs> and Ritsu's just like, eh, you sure you're not like a, t- a traitor or just like trying to spy on us? <laughs> and then he just eventually lets him join. So he's like, yeah, okay, cool. We're good. Definitely one of the hardest scenes to watch in this entire anime, though, was um, Izuru, like, after the the roof breaks and there's glass everywhere and he's like laughing hysterically and cutting himself just, repeatedly just like stabbing himself in the face with like a piece of glass it was really hard to watch yeah like it, it was it was disturbing but like in a really good way uh that leads us to the next episode which these last four episodes don't have synopsis but i think i know what i think i know what happens on these episodes i hope so uh i believe episode nine is when the go home club enacts their their plan from episode seven, which is, hey, we're going to charge in on where the musicians are. Yep. And try and take them out. They found out that there's like a tower where they, they hang out, which I mean, like makes sense because they now have a former musician in their ranks. Yes. So that's basically the, the whole plan. They run to a few snags, obviously, like they run into a shadow a few knife. Snags. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Shadow Knife is a musician who basically thinks like he has this one form of justice and that's it. And he's going to enact it on everyone. Yep. And then they also pretty much get like a, we get like an actual introduction to Thorn this episode Mm -hmm. and how she is supposedly connected to Shogo, which makes him freak out. Yeah. He like the way they animate his eyes when he figures these things out is terrifying. Like, he's messed up when he sees her mm-hmm. um, because she's kind of been like in the background of everything. You haven't really gotten an introduction to her. And then when you see her and he like freaks out, you're like, uh, okay. Also because immediately she just jumps off a roof. Yeah, that too. Which is bad. Yeah. Um, which the whole thing with shadow knife is uh, a, a bullying instance as well, because yeah. you find out that, Whoever he was in real life was, like, horribly bullied. So he chooses in Mobius to bully back. Yeah, he comes back he to this world the- and, like, it, it, like basically just specifically targets the people who were bullying him. Yeah, and he takes the form of, like, a popular anime character. Yes. Which is kind of funny, but um, it ends really tragically. Because he, he, I think he gets thrown off the, the roof of the building or, like, falls there there's an explosion and it knocks him and um shoot um i forget his name rescue man kotaro yes um they're like basically both holding on to like the like metal pieces of the building from the explosion Mm -hmm. and he's trying to save him and like he slips and he falls and um I think it's Arya who says that, like, she can no longer sense him. Yeah. It, basically, we get the thing of, like, you die in the game, you die in real life. Die in real life, yeah. That type of thing. Because um, she says, like, you know, I can no longer sense him. I'm like, well, he's be fine, right? And she's like, oh. Both that. Yeah. So, um, something I probably should have mentioned, like, eight episodes ago. 
Yeah. If you die here, you die in real life. So he's probably dead. So essentially their whole idea of like, oh, we're going to storm in and figure all this out. We're going to we're going to find a way to escape. It goes very badly. Yeah, it it fails miserably. So like they have to kind of regroup after everything that went down because, yeah, it was real bad. But uh, the big like tease that I think at the end of this episode is that. Mm hmm. You see, so like, where's the president? Yeah, you like, where's the president? And you see Ritsu basically going back there, and he finds like these doors, and enters them. Dum, dum, dum. Which is like we we read something about like the remake of this game where they've added stuff to it, and we had thought the idea like, oh, he's gonna he's switching sides. Yep. He's gonna turn on them, which isn't the case. It is not the case. I actually like what they did better. Yeah, but it is. He is doing something that the others don't know about. Correct. And so he's missing mm-hmm. for a few episodes. So we get like the uh, the next episode, episode 10, which is uh, titled Caligula. Backstory time. It is, yeah, it's literally a huge info dump of backstory, but also something that was needed because we haven't really got a lot of that backstory for for any of Anybody. these any of these people, like barring like a few here and there, but for everyone, like it was like you kind of have a little hints here and there of like who they are, but in reality, like you don't really know like okay, what are these people actually like? And mm-hmm. I know I think like I saw a lot of people kind of like giving this episode flack because it was like a little bit of, like it's kind of filler, but also I think like it it's a really good job of like establishing okay, who are these people? What are they actually like in reality? And how can this show use that to push them forward in the next two episodes? Yeah, I think it was totally necessary. I don't see that it was really filler. So essentially, it is literally all the go-home club, like... Saying who they were. Saying who they are. I think the only one who doesn't is Kotono, but she saves that for, like, the, the final episode. Final episode. Uh, So you learn that Shogo, he basically calls himself a murderer. He's 30. Yeah, he's, like, he's really old. Hey! Hey! <laughs> hey! I'm kidding. I'm 30? I'm kidding. But he's older than their portrayal. Their portrayal itself. Um, he called himself a murderer because, like, he'd had this friend who had like taken a liking to him. Like, he really wasn't like good with people before. And eventually, things get real sour to where she's like, "Hey, we should die together." Yep. And he basically backs out of that at the last second, and she dies. But he lives on, and he feels immense amount of guilt about that. Uh, the one thing that's really messing him up is obviously that Thorn looks exactly like the exactly girl like who killed herself. And that's why he like freaked out immensely. Uh, you learn that Kotaro is like a middle schooler and he has an obsession with heroes because like his dad was a firefighter who passed away and he wants to like fill in those shoes but he's like he's not necessarily like grown into his body and he's like a smaller middle schooler so he has Mm -hmm. a lot of anxieties about like i want to save people and help them but like how am i supposed to do that with the way my body is and like i don't have like the strength to do that which you find out that he's a middle schooler because when Shogo says that he's 30 he's like wow you're over half my age and he's like (laughs) excuse me what (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's not something you'd expect that he'd be like 
a middle schooler because he, he's one of the tallest ones of the group. And, um, you know, he uses like a pretty heavy like hand weaponry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a, he's a middle schooler, a small middle schooler. Uh, Kensuke is like just a dude who wanted to be a musician. Yeah, so that his is kind of like the most boring of them. <laughs> and he he's even like just says it like, "Look, my backstory is not that like super like crazy or anything." It's like, I just wanted to write music, and like my yeah. parents didn't want me to do that, so here I am. Here I am. <laughs> uh, Naruko is someone who basically was getting trolled on the internet, and tried to like switch that around on people. And it ended up, like, becoming, like, kind of, like, popular on the internet. But, like, the popularity was very, like, fake and void of, like, real interactions with people. It was just, like, more people who were into the ways that, like, she was just trolling on the internet. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, very, uh, <laughs> very 2018, I guess. Oh, yeah. So, like, she basically kind of comes to the realization, like, all these people that follow her, like, don't really care about her. They just, like, care about, like, her content and, like, the kind of, like, stuff that she's doing. Uh, Mifue, you basically kind of, like, she tells you, like, what you already kind of know. Like, she has a mom who, like, has battled being overweight. And I think she, was she have, like, an eating disorder? She has an eating disorder because she's afraid of becoming, like, her mom. Mm -hmm. um, Because she was really, really embarrassed that her mom was, uh, was overweight. And then Susana is just like, hey, I don't have friends. No one, I don't really know how to talk to people. Which is also something you kind of like already had an idea of like what was, what was going to be after the, the Shonen Doll episode. Yep. So that is everyone's like backstory that you get. Uh, the only ones you don't get is uh, Katono because she's like the last one to go. But then like th- things go crazy at the end. And then also Protag who is missing at this point. Uh, also, yep. so this episode ends because I believe they are the reason they were kind of going around and talking to everyone is like they get locked into the room. Yep. And at the end of the episode, uh, Marie comes back, the the friend of Ritsu, and she just chucks a grenade into their room. Yep. And then she's just gone crazy all of a sudden. <laughs> Yeah, because, like, throughout the entire show, she's been fairly normal. She's been, like, one of the friends of Ritsu and um, kind of, like, a background character because you assume that she's just one of the, like, recreations in there. But nope. She's nuts. She is, yeah. She's kind of lost it and just starts chucking grenades and explosives and all sorts of stuff at the rest of the go-home club. So that's why Kotano isn't able to give her backstory. And then we also see that... uh protagonist is in the real world yep and i believe that's how that episode ends with those two revelations episode 11 is where we finally get ritsu's backstory which is a bit of a bait and switch because the person you see who wakes up in episode 10 is the person that ritsu has modeled his character after yep Ritsu, in reality, it does not look like that. The person he's modeled his character after is, like, the the team lead of the Mobius project, essentially. And actual Ritsu is kind of like this, is this very introverted person who has trouble connecting with others. And 
found a way to connect with Mew when they were developing Mobius. And that's kind of like how, how Mew got all of her ideas of like what happiness is supposed to be is through talking with Ritsu. And then she just disappears and he kind of like isn't able to handle it and then has to kind of, and forces himself into there into Mobius to try and figure out like what happened and, but loses his memories in the process all the while though in the real world, people who go into Mobius basically go get like this. They, there's some sort of syndrome. They, they have classified that as, but like they kind of go into comas essentially. Yep. And no one is waking up from them, but Ritsu has been able to. So like the team leads, like, how are you back? Like you should not have been able to wake up. Like that's not possible. <laughs> Reach is like, eh, don't worry about it. I'm here to fix I'm fixing Mobius. That's what I gotta do. <laughs> so basically, he just like goes back to like his his company's building. He's like just furiously trying to code. Gives other visual reads to. I forget what his name actually is, but uh, shoot, I knew this one. It was like Shingo or something. That sounds about right. But like he like gives him like kind of like a big rundown of like okay what's happened why I need to fix this and then he's like well why don't I help you and Reach is like no I can do this I gotta do this myself so yeah and then all the while while that's happening like there's just a fight happening in the the school and like actual Mobius it's intense because there's like lots and lots of bombs mm-hmm. lots of explosions are happening. Yeah. Uh, this is where the 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 series really remind me of the Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth games because like they have like a very similar idea where it's not necessarily like oh you go into like the virtual world you just fall into a coma. It's yeah. like if something really bad happens to you in the virtual world you fall into a coma and like you're boned. Like there's no coming back from that. Like they they explored that in the in the recent game where like there was like a way that they could do that but it was like very very risky. But essentially, it's a very similar concept of, like, you know, virtual world leading to, like, something bad happening to you in, like, reality. But this takes it a little bit a step further where it's like, oh, if you just enter this world, you're done. Like, your 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 actual self is a little, is uh, going to have a long nap, essentially. But uh, actual Ritsu kind of comes to terms with, like, oh, I kind of screwed this up. You know, I got to come and fix this. And then, like, the end of the episode is, like, Arya popping up on a screen is, like... Hey, we got to go back. <laughs> <laughs> back to the future. <laughs> right, so we got to go back. So yeah, like she's like, hey, we got to go back to Mobius and this is that's how we're going to fix things for good because Mew has gone berserk again. Yeah, she's gone nuts. And then that leads us to the finale, which uh, obviously things are still going very poorly in the school. Like they're they're having a lot of fights. Uh, Thorn has showed up to fight uh, Shogo, and then he learns there that like Thorn isn't actually the girl that died, but like another g- friend of the of them two who was like kind of like obsessed with the girl who died and wanted to be the one that she offered to kill herself with. Yep. So she took the the looks of that girl and went to Mobius to to haunt Shogo. A lot of people just not looking like themselves. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. It is a mess. Uh, eventually, like the fight with uh, Marie gets to a point where like her legs get blown off. Yep, which um, I have discovered reflects how she is in real life. 
because apparently she's paralyzed in the actual world. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that because I didn't finish the game. Uh, All the while, Mew is destroying Mobius. Yep. And then eventually Ritsu comes back and is able to kind of like save everyone. And while Mobius is being destroyed, he like teleports them out, which I assume is means like they get out of Mobius. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it's finally just him and Mew. And the reason that Arya has brought him back is like, hey, you have come to an understanding of what happened, of what you did, and of like what you need to tell Mew. You need to tell her your actual feelings of what happened and convey them in a way that she'll understand. So that's what he does. That's why he comes back. Uh, Mew is still kind of gone very hectic. So where it's like she just stabs him at one point right in the gut. Uh, but, like, it it doesn't, like, necessarily affect him that much because he's still able to kind of, like, come back and chit-chat. Yeah, I mean, he he, he struggles for a bit. He gets, yeah. like, butt blood, which is really weird. <laughs> butt blood. But it, the butt blood disappears at one point. It made me really upset. But he's got, like, these blood stains going down his butt. But essentially the, uh, the idea that he has to convey to her is, like, hey, when I was telling you what happiness was, like, I was wrong. Like, that's yeah. not what happiness is. Like, happiness is going to differ from person to person. It's not going to be just, like, what I tell you, because that's not going to be the same for everyone else. So, hey, I messed up. Let me tell you, of like, what I think happiness actually is. And he's able to do that and basically kind of get her back under control into a way where, like, they're able to get out, or at least he's able to get out. And then the show ends essentially with, like, you come back to reality and see what everyone else is, is doing or, like, trying to do to to improve themselves now that they've had, like, the, the experience that they had. Mm-hmm. Now that they've come to, like, the understandings of, like, who they actually are, like, what their true selves are, which that's very much Persona 1, Persona 2 style, like, hey, come to an understanding of who your actual self is. Yep. Uh, so, like, you get, like, a big, like, just kind of rundown of, like, what everyone else has been doing. Which I don't remember everyone else's, what everyone else has been doing. <laughs> but it's, it's a big montage of that. And I believe the show ends with, like, Ritsu in his room putting a hand up to his monitor. And you see, like, a pink hand, like, reach out back. Which I, who knows who that could be? Mm. <laughs> But yeah, like that's how the style of the show ends. Um, which I, I mentioned the the box at the beginning, but the the scene where they're talking and like they're shown on the the box was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I loved it. But I like as well, like just the way that the show ends is like you know, obviously as you've gone through the entire series, you learn that like everyone that was in the go home club is a flawed individual. Right. And them coming back to reality, despite, you know, the fact that they want to go back to reality, it doesn't make them automatically like a better person or like fix them. Like these are still people coming back into reality that are flawed individuals, which, which is what I told you the other day or like yesterday, like that's a hallmark of Satomi's writing. Where like, if you look at the cast of persona and persona Two throughout both those games like those are casts that are that are very much flawed individuals and by the end of it like they despite if like it's a happy ending or not like 
not all those characters are fixed or even if like they do get like a happy ending which kind of it's kind of what happens in persona one like those are people who have a lot of emotional scars and baggage to where like they have to carry that even into persona two because mm-hmm. a good majority of the characters that are in p1 come into p2 and like when you see those characters in p2 like they are not they're not fixed by any means like they have a lot of they have a lot of weight on their shoulders still even if like they try and like hide that or like put out a new front like there's still a lot of things that are bothering them that happen from persona one like these are not these are not fixed individuals and that's the same thing that happens here in caligula you know everyone who comes out of mobius is not fixed and they still need to find like what's going to be their happiness and i think that that's a really interesting thing about this series is that like we were discussing this uh what, yesterday yeah that you you read that somebody said that like the happy ending kind of like went against what it was about and it was like it wasn't a happy ending right like everybody still has real big issues that they're having to figure out mm-hmm. like um i think one of the most intriguing to me was like shogo is like stumbling and says like he forgot to like forgot how to put on shoes because he hasn't left his house for so long. I was like, wow, you know, that's that shows the amount of damage that was done to him, like by his friend's suicide and how much he blamed himself. And like, he's trying to get better, but he's still like, he's struggling. And I wonder that if that as well as like, obviously like, you know, people not coming out of like the, like him specifically like hey i'm not coming out of my house for a while coming in a shut-in but also like how long they've been in mobius like that's gonna de um your muscles are gonna deteriorate yeah mm-hmm. but everybody else seems to be doing okay but I, like obviously we don't know like how long it's been since like you know they got out of mobius. Right, right, right um like i don't know though like susan is still alone mm-hmm. and um Kotaro is still having like a is still very much like having problems uh like you said Naruko is like she's like oh I'm just deleting all my blogs like it's not necessarily she's fixed everything yeah um and the um shoot I keep blanking on names like the middle school kid is still like idolizing the the heroism like not a whole lot actually changes Mm mm-hmm for these people and like yes they're back in the real world and they probably learned something but like i don't really see it as a happy ending and the sense and especially like ritsu learned a lot but ritsu is still doing the same that he was doing before Mm. he's still a shut-in he's still obsessed with mew and he's professing his love to her the only thing like i think the ending like gives them is it gives them opportunity to change it but it's not gonna, but it's not immediate change and it's not given in the sense of like we see that change happening right um like we do see um you know an effort in some instances but there's no guarantee that that's gonna work out exactly like i mean i go back to persona one persona two a lot because like that's the the big connection between these works but right one of the main villains from persona one comes back in persona 2 because he gets mind controlled and the big like one of the big things like when you fight him again like the characters from p1 are like dude why did you come why are you back on the like 
as a villain again. What happened? Like I thought we come, we'd be able to reach out to you. Like I thought we were able to kind of break through you through to you with empathy. And he's just like, look, that's just the way things are sometimes. Like I just can't help it. And I think like that's a that's a really interesting idea of like character choice of like look like you can have these characters think like oh we're going to be able to save this person but you know from whatever circumstances not everybody can be saved. not everyone can be saved yeah and I think like with the way this ends there is the opportunity for like hey all of these people could have could have an opportunity for change they can become better and all that. But at the same time, whether it's, whether it's people in the musicians or in the Go Home Club, there's also the flip side of that to where nothing's going to change for them because, you know, whether it's circumstances, opportunities, or just the way they are themselves that they can't change, like, they'll either stay the same or become worse. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a very intriguing idea, I think, just story-wise because you know usually when you have endings it's you know hey we're gonna make it we'll make it ambiguous at times but also it's easy to kind of like understand where characters are gonna go or where their arc's gonna go but with this like it could it could easily go either way mm-hmm. and i mean i i like the idea that there is that that hope there but i also like the idea of us not knowing yeah it's very good I really liked this show. I thought it was well done. Um, and I mean, there are some issues. Like, I know that the last episode had uh, some weird animation bits. Yeah, there was that, there was some weird animation bits, like kind of like throughout the series. Throughout, like I mentioned the one in the Shonen Doll episode, but but I don't think it was like enough to make it like terrible. It was just like it was wonky here and there. I mean, that's just kind of like when you're watching something being simulcast around the same time that's being shown on TV, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Like, there's going to be a lot of imperfections because the animation team is just busting their b- to get at, get it out there as quick as possible. Right. Like, if you want the, the better version, you know, wait for the for it to come out on home video. But despite some little, like, wonky animation here and there, like, it was fine. I, like, I think I liked, or I, I should say I liked a lot of just the way they they did character design and like the way they did like some of those like weird color sections at times. I loved it. It was like a weird like watercolory crayony looking. Yeah. I loved it. It looked like a picture book. Yeah, that was a really really cool design. But yeah, just just in general, like you know, as we were talking about at the top of this episode, we're like, this was a game where we kind of bounced off pretty quickly, and we're just like, eh, about and. You know, there was also there was always the possibility that this adaptation could have been junk. Mm-hmm. Oh, it could have been. But I think they Easily. they did an excellent job of adapting this game and making it a way to where you know people who have played the game or who haven't played the game can easily get something out of it mm-hmm. in a way that sometimes anime adaptations of games aren't able to do. One thing that we should definitely talk about before we like wrap this up though um especially considering the nature of it is the music there was music oh my god Jerry. <laughs> oh my god <sighs> you hurt me sometimes <laughs> i mean music is your forte it is it is but um 
you know, it, it's a Vocaloid. Yeah. And um, for one, not Vocaloid related at all. The opening is amazing. It's real good. Literally one of my favorite openings in ages. Like, it is so good. And it's the voice actors for Ritsu and Shogo. Mm. And, oh boy, every time I, I listen to it, I just get hype as f- And also, like, they, they implement a lot of the music from the game into this, but, like, they've remixed it. Yeah, like, Peter Pan Syndrome got remixed. And I love the anime remix. Mm-hmm. Um we we talked about it when it first showed up in like the first or second episode. We're like, yeah, that song, it was good. Like the first ten times we heard it, <laughs> and then it kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. But the anime remix of Peter Pan Syndrome was just Chef's Kiss. It was so good. Yeah, it makes it a little bit better than hearing it thirty thousand times in a row. <laughs> it does, but it had like a a bigger kick to it mm-hmm. i felt like yeah. it, it felt more like an actual like battle theme than it did in the game itself because the game the way it sounded in the game was kind of like just a just a, like a a vocaloid song yeah it was calm yeah and then this one they're like nope no more calmness let's go it was great yeah like and like every other episode you get a new song for her something like that it, maybe not every other episode but you get new songs pretty, pretty regularly yeah, pretty and frequently and it was all good. Like, I really enjoyed just the way they were able to kind of, like... I mean, obviously, a lot of adaptations do this where they take music from the game and put it into the anime. But, like, just do mm-hmm. it the way they did it to where, like, you know, we're going to take that same music. But, like, we'll... Like, once again, put a little spin on it. Put our own little touch on it. And throw it in or there. Or even, like, put it, like, as the underlying song, like, while big events are happening. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really smart to do it that way. Because, again, it's it's a Vocaloid like based world and so you have the vocaloid singing out there and like that's who's affecting everything but then at the same time you have like the actual dialogue and the important events happening down below here yeah it's really really cool yeah and usually the songs have something to do with whatever is happening at that point right (laughs) of course it does really really good i didn't like the closing song as much as i liked the opening song but it was good too it was way more chill obviously it was way more chill which um maybe i needed a chill after after an episode of caligula but you know you you had all the action and then you got like the the comic strips at the end and then you got the chill theme song it was it was pretty good yeah also one of like the composers that worked on this like there's a lot of composers because obviously like there's a lot of different music because right. the game also had this, but like one of the main composers that I think did like just original music had worked on like Naruto, um, Fairy Tale, also Sailor Moon Crystal, Ooh. to name a few. Uh, the Fantastic Tiger Mask W. <laughs> get that in there again. So like like even just like without like just the vocal stuff, like there's like there's a good pedigree of like of people who wrote music for this this series. So. I mean, it's it's really fantastic, and um, there have been several people in my life that um, I've recommended this to now. Um, I know of one of them who's currently watching it, so Chris, if you've already finished it by the time that this comes out, please listen to this, and hello, I'm glad you watched it, and I hope you liked it. <laughs> um, which, he sent me a text message, like, through the first episode or something, he's like, I'm getting like a Matrixy vibe from this, but with Vocaloid. I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
you'll get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I hope that, uh, that he likes it, but I, I keep recommending this to people like, please watch Caligula, please watch it. It's so good. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I really, really like this anime. Um, it's one of my favorites that I've watched in a long time. Which I doubt was something you thought you would say come when we first started watching the show. Right, because that nightmare of gameplay made me just hate it. <laughs> and so, like, I, I know that this story is not, like, one for one the exact same story that we got in the game, mm -hmm. but this adaptation of it is really wonderfully done. And it, it does a lot of great things that I felt like were um, not only fun to watch, but smart. Yeah. Um, and you don't always get that from anime. I know that sounds dumb, but like you don't always get smart anime. It's true. And it's not smart just because it's like throwing in psychology. Like you can't just throw psychology at the wall and that makes it smart. But right. The way that it utilizes concepts of psychology within the narrative itself is what makes it so cool to me is that it's it's just beyond a, a sense of like, hey, let's just throw some names of like psychology in here and it, that'll work, right? And it's like, no, they're actually like straight up taking those concepts and implementing them into the story and the characters themselves. And it's fantastic. It's beautiful. I'm choking on my spit because I got so excited. <laughs> ah! I've been so excited to talk about Caligula. That's true. You've been like... I was really ready to do this episode. You've had to deal with my text messages about it. You've been very excited. Very, very excited. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really would recommend this to most anybody. Especially um, if you've, if, you know, obviously, if you like Persona, like, I think this is kind of like a given of like, hey, you should definitely check this out. Um, and I think it's a really interesting take <laughs> on, um, like, mental health. Yeah. Um, that you don't often get in, for one, Japan, and two, in Japanese media. Um, because every single one of these characters has some kind of issue, like some of them to very extreme amounts. Like, um, the one girl has an extreme eating disorder to the point she's in the hospital because mm -hmm. of a reaction against her mother. And I mean, that's, that's intense. Right. And it's not really something that you see in media a lot. Um, and especially done in like a respectful way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I'm a nerd and I loved it. And I would probably swoon for a boy who took me on the swan boat and talked about <laughs> psychology. Like knowing that Ritsu was an adult and knowing that he was taking girls on swan boat and talking psychology. I'm like, you know what? I would. I would. That's all you need to know about me, really. Just the fact that, like, yeah, okay, I, I would totally make out with a dude who's swan boat psychology, psychology to me. <laughs> Can't even get it all out there. I, 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 you know what? That's the way to my heart, man. Now, now we know the secret. Step one: be an adult. <laughs> Good step one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really hard for anime these days, you know? It's true. Um, step two, 
Get me on a swan boat. Step three, get Step- a psychologist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please talk to me about defense mechanisms. <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, that like I said, that says a whole lot about who I am as a person. <laughs> so I think uh, the moral of the story is... <laughs> Watch Caligula. Don't play the game. Don't play the game. Watch the anime. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Look out for swan boats. Uh, I mean, they're not going to, like, attack you. You don't know. What if it's a swan dressed up as a boat? Oh, my God. Then they might attack you. Stay away from them. <laughs> they're vicious. They have, like, teeth. Exactly. It'd be dangerous. Um, wasn't there a swan boat in Tokyo um, Xanadu, too? Yes. Wow, so I'm finding connections in uh, media that I like and swan boats. <laughs> the big correlation. Wow. I don't know why I said it like that. That was a weird way to say wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, I'm blushing like a million times to red. <laughs> I can feel my cheeks just being on fire. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've revealed a lot about myself today on this episode. Yeah, you like adults, swan boats, and psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, adults is key there. Please be an adult. Uh, so soon we will we'll, we'll find out a big list of media with swan boats in them and then go through all of them. Also, 30 is not old. Uh, who would ever say that? You! There, you you cannot prove that. You'll be 30 someday. Maybe. I mean, yeah. You're not going to die before you turn 30. I won't allow it. <laughs> All right. I will come resurrect your <laughs> You're just going to like pull me out of the grave like, get up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do this until you hit 30. Then it's fine. You can do whatever you want. Then, I'm gonna, but no, I'm gonna, once I hit thirty, I'm going to gray my hair and start walking with like a cane. <laughs> like, oh look, I proved God. it. I'm old. People still think that I'm like 16 years old, man. <laughs> you got to run with that, then. I got the baby face. <sighs> but yes, we will start our <laughs> ultimate mission of finding all media with swan boats. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap this episode up. Yeah, we're done. We're done. This is all. This is all we need to do now. Ooh. It's over. If you would like more from us, go to seasonalmycheckup.com or scc.cool where you can find past episodes of this podcast and other podcasts like Seasonal Checkup and Jared and Now Watch. You can also find columns and reviews on the site as well. If you want more from Anladium, go to anladium.com. She has columns and reviews on her site like a brand new one. Yeah! I did the thing. Where you uh, talked? It's not about swan boats. It's unfortunately not about swan boats, but you talked about your relationship. Oh, do you want me to tell your relationship <laughs> with Persona Five and the latest Fooly Cooly? Uh, yep, I sure did. Um, I wrote it. It's been in process for what, like half a week, a week, something like that. Maybe like two weeks. Maybe. Um, so it's it's been in the process for a while, but I finally got it up. Um, please read it. And um, if you hate it, then I don't need to know. If you like it, then please tell me. I liked it. Yay! Thank you. 
Yeah, you were the first person I sent it to. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, yeah, Twitter. If you want to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash anime checkup is where we do the Twitters. You can see me talking about Akihiko Sonata at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's just every day. That's true. Uh, you can follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash SACOVA if you'd like to support this very podcast. Because that'd be cool. Yeah, we'd like that. We'd like you. Uh, next week. Is a week. It, it is indeed a week. <laughs> but uh, I think we have an idea of what we're going to talk about. I think so. It's a certain thing we've been playing. It is a certain thing we've been playing. That we... And it'll be nice because we'll be able to talk about several different versions of it. That is true. I, I'm i ready to talk about some bones I got to pick with uh, this version that we're playing. Because, <laughs> oh boy, I did not remember that this game was as rough as it was when I first played it like six years ago. Yeah, I mean... There's some issues. It's still okay, but it's not the definitive version. It's not the definitive edition. Um, we talked it's about this uh, last year, and once again, a part of a retrospective. But uh, it's finally time to to talk at length deep, since we are since we are playing a version we haven't played in a good long while. Uh, we're going to talk about Persona Three. I have not played it since I think 2008, based on the name that I used in the save file. Oh boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't played since 2012, because that was when I bought Persona 3. Well, now you spoiled what it's going to be. I already said it. Okay. I said it before that. Did you? Yeah. Jeez, I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> Someone's anyway. not listening, clearly. No, no, I'm listening. I just mm-hmm. don't understand mm-hmm. words, apparently. <laughs> um, Sorry, I should have said Swan Boat Persona 3. No, that's not what... Mm-hmm. I guess I just got distracted by Akihiko Sonata. That's probably also the fact. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, we will we'll do a we'll do a dive into that game, uh, the various versions of it, because mm-hmm. there are quite a few. And dude, they need to remake that game. Yeah, they do. I'm about that life. It's true. So I look forward to that next week, and uh, we'll meet you there. Ha <laughs> ha